Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello, and welcome to the Life and Arts podcast. We're here to talk about bureaucracy and why so much of modern life is dominated by endless paperwork and frustrating administrative tasks. I'm Martin Sanbu, formerly the FT's economics leader writer and now the author of the paper's daily economics newsletter, Martin Sanbu's Free Lunch. With me in the studio today is Lucy Calloway, the FT's management columnist and agony aunt in all matters bureaucratic, as well as our guest, the anthropologist and anarchist, David Graeber, who teaches at the London School of Economics and is seen as one of the people who not only helped to plan Occupy Wall Street, but coined the famous slogan, we are the 99%. David has a new book, The Utopia of Rules on Technology, Stupidity and the Secret Joys of Bureaucracy. In the book, David outlines capitalism's love affair with bureaucracy, and he argues that we're drowning in more red tape than ever before. In fact, he says, we are in an age of total bureaucratization, which he says makes part of a system designed to extract the most profit possible. I quote from his book, no population in the history of the world has spent nearly so much time engaged in paperwork. I sympathize with that, at least having just had to fill in one of the FT's career appraisal forms. Uh, And I thought we could start by asking both of you what sort of annoying bureaucracy you've had to uh, comply with recently, David. Well, I spent last night typing up the detailed notes from an academic board meeting for my um, department. And the night before that, which is actually the release release date for the bureaucracy book in America, I spent at least two hours of that putting my career information into the proper format for a promotions committee, despite knowing that I can't actually be promoted because I've reached the highest rank you can possibly reach. I was told you have to do it anyway, because if you don't, other people will be punished. Lucy, can you beat that? Yeah, I think I can beat that. This morning, I had to fill in a two-page form for my son, who is 17 years old and was going to a museum for three hours during the school day. It was a two-page form. I had to give a full medical history with three emergency numbers and so on, made particularly annoying by the fact that I've filled in the same form probably about 300 times over the last um, seven years that he's been at that school. This is the sort of thing we all like to make fun of, and we see that in popular culture as well. And David's book has a lot of examples of how bureaucrats are sort of the people we we lampoon. One example is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the series of books and, and later films that David references in his book. There are many entertaining scenes in there satirizing bureaucratic culture, including the following description of the Vogons, a fictional alien race from the planet Vogsphere, who are responsible for the destruction of planet Earth after the human race forgets to file an essential form. Not evil, but bad-tempered, bureaucratic, officious and callous. They wouldn't even lift a finger to save their own grandmothers from the ravenous bugbladder beast of Trowel without orders, signed in triplicate, sent in, sent back, queried, lost, 
found, subjected to public inquiry, lost again, and finally buried in soft peat for three months and recycled as fire lighters. On no account should you allow a Vogon to read poetry to you. That's all in good fun, but of course this is actually a serious matter, and, and that's what the book argues. David outlines how political realignment and a cultural transformation starting in the U.S., around the 1970s, meant that bureaucratic techniques that started out in finance and corporate circles have gradually expanded to take over pretty much all of society. Lucy, you've read David's book. Do you agree that it's become this all-encompassing monster? No, I don't think I do, actually. I mean, at least I think it's very patchy. If you're lucky enough to be a journalist, your life isn't terribly bureaucratic. I mean, you you know, you write your articles and they go online or on the internet or whatever. You sort of are actually allowed to do your job. I also think it's very, very different in different parts of the world. I mean, the US is obscenely bureaucratic. I'm on the board of an insurance company in the US. And for this, I had to give my fingerprints, each single fingerprint, about six times over for separate filings in in different states. God knows what purpose that served. But I think by comparison to that, the, the UK is relatively, relatively unbureaucratic. So this total bureaucratization, I just don't see. I think you can escape through the cracks. Are you overstating your case a bit? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, it really depends on what you're measuring. Try to open up a bank account in America. It takes about three hours. Try to open a bank account here in the UK. It takes about three months. <laughs> so it really depends on what section of the economy we're really talking about. But doesn't that actually raise a really interesting point of where you, where you live and where you're from? And maybe all of us are so used to our own bureaucracies that we no longer are sensitive to them. And it's only when we move to other countries that we're, actu- we're shocked. And, and, and appalled by the process there and about how they treat non-nationals. It's certainly true that as a, a non-national in the U.S. encounters much, much higher levels and much more unfriendly bureaucracy. Actually, mm. the, the thing about American bureaucracy is that overall, Americans are pretty good at bureaucracy. It's, it's a very bureaucratic society. It has been for 100 years. But it's kind of that German element in, that nobody mm. wants to talk about in American society, that they're quite efficient about certain things. And it's almost as if they're embarrassed how good they really are at bureaucracy. Whereas British people are more rather proud of how bad they are, it seems to me, in many occasions. But I think that it actually is increasingly all-encompassing. In my own life, I've seen the amount of paperwork I've had to do go up. And it's not just because I've become older. So I, I think that if you look at the actual amount of time per day the average person spends doing paperwork, of course, most paperwork isn't actually on paper anymore, but um, what we call paperwork... I think that there's never been a society in the history of the world that's come anywhere close. But do we actually know that or is it a guess? Because you've got a great chart in the beginning mm. of the book that sort of claims it, but then from the words underneath you imply that you've sort of vaguely made it up. Well, I say that I look at the, the use of the word paperwork because you can't actually measure it. Um, but, I, I, you know, one, one speaks from personal observation. I'm 54 years old. Um, you know, you look around at people. There's, there's no way to go back in time and measure how much time people spent filling out forms. But it's hard to imagine it's, it, there was anything like this. I mean, it used to be you'd go to a travel agent to get a ticket. Now, now you do it yourself. All these tasks that used to be outsourced to other people and just would involve perhaps a phone call now and then are things that actually all the forms have to be done by the person. I don't think that was at all true um, for previous generations. And, And Lucy, whether there's more or less in different countries and professions, surely there's too much paperwork and form filling and bureaucracy. 
Well, again, I mean, I think it goes back to it sort of depends what, what line of business you're in. But I think that the um, the spread that David talks about is quite terrifying. I was listening to the radio the other day and was listening to a Nigerian woman who was talking about a new scheme to help women in her country who are in trouble. And she was talking about leveraging skill sets and empowerment and getting buy-in. She was talking the management consultancy language for one of the most basic sort of acts of humanity that could have been imaginable. And I thought that was profoundly depressing. David, to you, it seems like it's not just a question of a nuisance or a confusion. It's something much more sinister going on. You link this to to violence and power. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that when I was growing up, the idea that there would be armed security guards at places like beach resorts, hospitals, uh, primary schools, so forth and so on, was was cons- would have been just odd. I mean, it's surrealistic and weird. The idea that you have to go through security for everything you do, that you're on cameras all the time, corresponds to bureaucratization because... It only really became clear to me when I went to a place where the rules aren't enforced. You know, I, if you're living in a small town in Madagascar, as I did for two years, you know, there are no rules about who can eat and smoke and sell and do what and what part of the city and what part of the street and at what hours or day. I mean, or maybe there are, but no one knows what they are because no one ever enforces them. Um, so in a place like that, you realize there's a state and paperwork are around, around when people with guns are around. Um, and it seems no coincidence that as the paperwork spreads, you know, we become more securitized. I had a great insight about police in that respect. When you talk about what police actually do, people think, well, you know, they fight crime. If there's violence, you know, we need police. But actually, you know, most cases of interpersonal violence, the police have nothing to do with it. If there's a gang fight, a bar fight, domestic violence. On the other hand, if somebody is injured or goes to the hospital because of that violence or is killed, well, then police do become involved because there's paperwork. What cops actually do, they're bureaucrats who are armed. You know, if somebody gets hit on the head, the police probably won't come. On the other hand, you know, if you drive down the street with a car with no license plates, you know, watch what happens. People with weapons will pop out almost immediately and demand that you obey the various formal regulations, which have nothing to do with crime. They're about registration. And, you know, violence will ensue if you don't play along. So, in fact, these regulations are backed up by force. And regulations backed up by force pervade more and more aspects of our lives. that we don't even really notice it because we can't imagine it being any other way. So, actually, the pen and the sword go together uh, in, in David's you, Lucy, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think in some ways that might be true. But actually, if you go back to your example of filling in the form for promotion, there was no man with a gun. There was no man with a gun over mine. There was a threat of of punishment. That's what's so interesting. Ultimately, these things are backed up that way. Well, in this case, the punishment was was fiscal. And I I call this the, the one more word out of you and the kitten gets it move. You get that from bureaucrats all the time. If you complain about something, they'll say, oh, who told you that? Or who didn't do that? You know, they'll do it in such a way as to make it clear that if you complain, some subordinate will get in trouble or get fired, almost certainly not the person responsible. And in this case, if I don't fill out the form, someone else in my department might not get a promotion. Uh, so is, there's is always a more, threat. <laughs> that rather than kind of a physical or punishment reaction, what happens if you don't comply is that you're just powerless. Nothing happens. You don't get the things you need to get to. Well, you don't get money. And if you don't have money and you try to do things about money, then the guys with the guns do show up. So it's a, it, it simply puts it back. I'll give another example. Flattering bureaucracy. I think very often the result of all of the forms and everything is zero. 
that they sort of eat oh, themselves and that there isn't a sanction and that the form that Martin was talking about of the sort of employee satisfaction um, survey, uh, you know, typically the reaction to those is zero. This is a very interesting question. During the 2010 student movement, I was trying to think of something I could suggest to my colleagues who certainly weren't going to go and sort of occupy buildings or anything like that um, to help you know, sort of show our opposition to the, the what was going on. Uh, everybody agreed with the students. No one wanted to do anything. So I suggested, well, why don't you? we just stop filling out paperwork? Any document that says, you know, excellence, quality, you know, one of these nonsense documents, we'll just stop doing it. That'll be our form of strike. And they looked at me like I was insane. But it's a form. You have to fill out the form, you know. So, so there is definitely an internalization of that. On the other hand, I mean, we also tend to edit out from our minds the places where violence does exist. I had written once about libraries. Say you want to go to the library, and you don't have a validated student ID because you don't have the money and you haven't paid some fine. Um, and you say, I know, I, it's not validated. I had a problem with the money, but I'm going to go and look at this volume by Foucault anyway in a very kind and gentle way because it's important to me. And you walk into the library past the guard. What is going to happen? <laughs> and in fact, a, a year after the student movement, there was an example of a student who, who was put in jail for protesting too loudly when they didn't let her back in the library when she had a, the wrong kind of, you know, one person didn't recognize the ID. This idea of civil disobedience <laughs> by refusing to fill in the forms uh, fascinates me. But Lucy, do you think we can live without bureaucracy? Is it is there an alternative? Could we no, have less we of it? No, of course we can't live completely without bureaucracy. And a lot of bureaucracy we actually love. And as you make the point in the book, and that resonated very strongly with me, one of the beauties of it is that it is impersonal. It's so much easier than having some sort of tiresome emotional sort of combat with somebody, just fill in a form and have done. So I think that's great. But I think there's also something that is intrinsic about how every organisation works, that as it gets bigger, you just do do get bureaucracy. There isn't another way. If you admit that organisations are going to exist, you're going to have bureaucracy. And the question is how to make it. There's good, there's good bureaucracy and there's rubbish bureaucracy and you want the former. In your book, you point out that bureaucracy has sometimes been the inspiration even for the radical left. You have this wonderful phrase about how uh, you can find in Lenin this idea that the organization of the Soviet Union was modeled on the German Postal Service, of all things. Tell us about that. Yes, well, the German Postal Service cast this strange shadow over the 20th century. Apparently, it was just so efficient. Uh, they used to have five, seven, even sometimes nine deliveries a day. They were absolutely accurate. They had an incredible system of suggestions for improvement improvement that impressed Mark Twain so much. I think he wrote one of his only non-satirical essays on just how great the German Postal Service was. And Weber seems to have had the German Postal Service in mind when he talked about bureaucracy as this incredibly efficient system which will gradually gobble up the world. Lenin actually felt that it was the example of, of socialism spontaneously emerging within the belly of capitalism. It's almost exactly like we now talk about the internet, which is in fact a giant post office, right? There is this thing that comes out of the military since both the internet and the post office originally came from military systems of communication. It works on non-market principles, but it works so well that it seems to be this new alternative to the existing order emerging. And all these visionaries sort of say, yes, we could just apply this to everything. You know, we'll have a sort of utopian society. Well, Lenin fell into that. Anarchists like Kropotkin looked at the international postal system. He said, look, you can send a letter from Venezuela to China, you know, and it gets there. There's no one government. You don't need a government to do these things. You can do it by agreement. So the German post office, just by its very efficiency, seems to have given people this strange fantasy of what the world could be like if we ran 
everything on socialistic terms. But why is it a fantasy? Isn't the conclusion that what we want isn't less bureaucracy, just better bureaucracy? Well, look what happened when Lenin did, in fact, try to apply those principles to an entire country. I don't think anybody's quite satisfied with the results. I think we can all agree on that. And I think I think that's all we have time for today. David Graeber, thanks very much. Lucy Calloway, thank you. The Life and Arts podcast was produced by John Sonia and Fiona Simon. Thank you very much for listening. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.